Welcome to another episode of Off Air. We are back. We had a week off, but we are together again. This is the podcast where two media professionals, uh, Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, who have worked in TV, radio, and kind of everything in between, sit down and pull apart our favorite three stories of the week. They might be the biggest stories or they might just be the stories that we think you need in your life. And it's not just a, a, a podcast for the two of us or with the two of us. It's a podcast that you're a part of as well because we've got a Facebook group. It's called Off Air Podcast Community. And we talk about all of the topics and we get your input before the podcast goes to air. So your thoughts are in it. Uh, if you're listening for the first time, join the Facebook group, get into the discussion, share your ideas, and they might pop up next week. Uh, this week, though, we are going to be getting into, one, the milkshake video. It's the $3.7 million sex ed fail, finally making it into the podcast. We're doing uh, the Olympics, which are just 11 weeks away, but are we literally creating an international death trap? And lastly, the West Coast Eagles, the AFL team, are in trouble for using a racist symbol, but who owns symbols anyway? And are we all making this same mistake? What is our mandate? Tim Rubin. It's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father before their birthday. Nick Stewart. I really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS. You're listening to Off Air. I believe it's this. What do you want to know? I'm back. I'm alive. Hello. We're, yeah, we're going. Uh, we missed a week. Yeah, well, you um, were complaining two weeks ago and you looked very unwell and you'd hurt yourself mm-hmm. in jiu-jitsu and I think we actually mm-hmm. spoke about it in the podcast and you mentioned you'd been taking too many painkillers. And then I received a text message on Friday morning or Saturday morning, yeah, which just said, guess where I am? And I immediately responded, hospital, because that's where obviously you were going to be. And you wrote back and you're like, you got it first go. And then sent me a photo of you on a drip. So do you want to talk yeah. us through the process of what went down? Yeah. So a lot has happened. Um, so I had, like we said a couple of weeks ago, I had hurt my back doing jujitsu, took anti, took, was taking anti-inflammatories regularly. And then my body had a negative reaction to that. And um, the anti-inflammatories may have torn my stomach lining open. Oh. Um, and uh, the pain was getting worse and worse. First, they thought they thought it was like gastro or something. It got so bad. I went to the emergency room where um, they then found that my kidney was also damaged and was only operating at about 50%. So they decided to keep me in hospital um, and do a whole bunch of tests. And now I don't actually have like a toilet. You don't know this, but um, I don't have like a fully wrapped up happy ending to the story yet. I'm way better. My stomach is not in pain anymore and I can eat food. Mm. But the last round of tests uh, showed that my kidney was not actually um, like back on track yet. So it, they may have, I don't know, is this weird that I'm sharing this with you and also just putting it in the podcast because it's, it's ongoing? No, well, as long as you're comfortable doing it. I mean, I have some, I have a few questions. I have friends that actually have questions as well. Um, I have a few friends. They wanted to know how many anti-inflammatories you were taking. Cause they, when I told them what had happened to you, they freaked yeah. out. Cause a lot of yeah. them work in manual labor and they punch those things like they're Tic Tacs. Yeah. I, I wasn't taking more than you're supposed to. I was taking, um, uh, I was going back and forth between Nurofen and Voltaren, but mm. I was only taking them every four hours and I was maybe doing that like three times a day so that it wow. was in my system for most of the day. Yeah. So I wasn't doing more than like, I wasn't doing a crazy amount, but the Voltaren ones are more powerful apparently. 
Are you Volta? Are they twenty fives? Voltar and twenty fives, or couldn't tell you. Don't remember. Yeah, keep, we'll, we'll keep that. Up. We'll keep. We'll keep a bit of mystery. Are you scared? People. Are you okay? Do you feel all right? I feel okay. I feel t- like I feel tired. I feel like I have lower energy, but I still am not entirely sure if that's because I didn't eat or sleep for a week. Yeah, like literally for five days, I could eat. One, I would eat an avocado over the course of a day, oh. and that's all I could, all I could eat. Um, uh, but then I also don't know if I'm experiencing fatigue because my my kidneys not not properly working. Oh, hundred so, percent. You still look a little bit pale, to be honest. Thanks. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, svelte. You look like you've lost some weight. <laughs> You look, but in comparison, you look fantastic compared to a fortnight ago when we last recorded. Mm. And you did, you you told me about it on the phone, the injury before. And then when you came on the podcast, I was like, man, that guy. It was no. Let's just put it this way: it was no surprise to me that you ended up in hospital a couple of days after that because you were not looking chipper. And you and you are a very, um, you're a very generally enthusiastic, fairly animated, happy person. And you could just tell that you were a little bit down. Your energy was a bit down and, and you obviously weren't operating on a hundred percent, but I'm assuming for you, it's probably now more about being frustrated that you can't uh, be as active as you'd like to be. Yeah. And I'm so happy that I can like eat food again. Mm. Like that's a game changer and sleep uh, most of the time pain free. And that's really good. Um, but yeah, no, so like, it's still, it's still going to keep on going. They might have to do a biopsy or something. I'm not sure. So yeah, some things are still up in the air. How are you? How's your, how, what's going on in Queensland? Oh, look, nothing that dramatic. Things, things are good. I went to a concert on the weekend. It was my first concert in a long time. Ooh, was who really played? Cool. Jimmy Barnes. It was ah! Jimmy, Jimmy, John Stevens, Diesel. It was the Red Hot Summer Tour. They, uh, they came to Toowoomba. So it was cool. But again, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy that goes into these COVID restrictions and I don't want to downplay COVID, but they had a mosh pit there and they could only fill the mosh pit to a 10% capacity. So you had to line up to get in the mosh area. Then if you peed, you got booted, had to line up again. But then when you're in the mosh, you're jumping around with sweaty strangers. So what's the point in there being a number? Exactly. Because you're just, everybody's getting a turn in the marsh. Yeah. We're so all if anyone spreading. has it, you all have it. <laughs> so yeah, it's, you know, those bureaucracies are still a little slow, but it was awesome to see live music and, and get back out there and get some experiences. And Jimmy's always good. We've both seen him Jimmy a Jimmy Barnes is so good. Yeah. I saw him a couple of years ago in Townsville. I've seen him a number of times through my life. He's, he's always good. What was weird was John Stevens supported him. And John Stevens did mostly in excess covers and then a couple of Jimmy Bards covers. I was like, John, what do you, you got your own, as Jazz said, he's been a musician for like 30 years. You'd think he's got enough of a catalog to do a 40 minute set of his own. I don't, who's John Stevens? What's oh, he, he, uh, Noiseworks, um, reach out and touch somebody. I'm pretty sure is him like reach out and reach out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Anyway, right. so, I mean, that's been going on. Um, and then I went away to a farm with some friends as well. They were the ones that were concerned about you. So. <laughs> uh, thank you, farm friends. All right. Well, we've missed a couple of weeks of news, so should we jump into it? Let's do it. Story number one. We missed last week, so we're going to start with a story that's not new, but is so amazing that it cannot be missed. And I'm genuinely excited to hear your thoughts on this. So two weeks ago, the Australian government launched its incredible plan to tackle sexual assault in this country. 
and it involved a video that would be used to teach children across Australia about consent. The video had two main actors and an incredibly confusing and sticky metaphor using a milkshake. <laughs> Let's have a quick listen to one of the lines from this beautiful educational material. Do you want to try my milkshake? Yes, I do. Is it better than yours? You know, I think I prefer mine. But what happens when one person takes action without an agreement? You do, huh? Well, drink it. Drink it all. What are you doing? Drink it all. <laughs> this is what we call moving the line. The video cost $3.7 million and quickly attracted a huge amount of criticism from basically everyone ever. New South Wales Liberal Minister for Education, Sarah Mitchell, described the video as woeful and a missed opportunity. And the Good Society, which is a real sex education website, has labelled the videos as harmful. Nick Stewart, how did we end up here? <laughs> These were, and I've only seen the milkshake video. So apparently this is part of a wider series, which comes with booklets and some other things. Why are we so afraid to call a penis a penis and a vagina a vagina? Especially mm. they are the biological terms for things. And it was, for me, it was, it did not, it did not clear up consent anymore. No. If anything, it made it even more confusing for me. Um, my first question to you, though, Tim, coming from the acting world, is yeah. why do marketing videos seem to cost a hundred times more than dramatic pieces? <laughs> like, how I'm much would an average Screen Australia yeah. grant be for an actual fucking movie made in this country? Yeah. I'm glad that you asked this question. I've actually run some numbers in my head to the best of my ability. So I, uh, when I was in the acting world, I actually worked on an ABC, t uh, an ABC TV show called Fresh Blood. Mm. And a sketch group that I was in was tasked with, uh, we were creating three sketches that were probably about seven minutes each. So making 20 minutes of content. And I think we were given a grant or a budget of about 20 grand, which we managed to do super comfortably. Yeah. Now, we didn't pay ourselves. So if you wanted to pay because we wrote and then acted in it, but then we had the money for like booking studios, editors, um, all of that other stuff so that it was a really professional quality. If we'd paid ourselves, let's say we paid ourselves to write it, maybe we'd paid ourselves an extra 10 grand each and there were five of us okay so there's another 50 grand and then let's say we paid ourselves the same amount to act in it so there's another 100 grand now we're at 120 grand then let's even say that we paid everybody else who had anything to do with it and we doubled their salary now we're at like what what's that 160 grand mm. we're still 3.6 million dollars <laughs> short so i don't have, i have no idea i don't know where the money goes do you think that it's just the government has no idea how much stuff costs and whenever they put out a, a, a contract for something, everybody just times it by, by literally a thousand? My understanding is yes. When, even when they're const like construction companies are applying yeah. for government grants, they pump those numbers up like crazy. I don't understand why that's acceptable though. Uh, that's the part that confuses me. And especially when we have a failing film and TV industry in this country, why that money is going to these bullshit things or why they're not able to properly budget that and put that money yeah. towards, towards a failing arts industry. And it, and you could have made a feature film. You could have yeah. cut that budget down. You could have made those things for $700,000 and then funded 
three feature films yeah. and giving them a million dollars each. A million dollars. <laughs> to a group of artists, that's an insane amount of money. Mm. You could have done it three times over. I don't know. Um, to get back to the actual content of the, of, of yeah. the, the videos that were made, it was embarrassingly confusing. And I and, and unfortunately, I don't want to throw around the term uh, sort of mollycoddled in PC too much, but you could tell that they were so, whoever made these videos was so incredibly afraid of offending or, or annoying Anyone. any group, any single group, that in by doing that, they have failed everybody and annoyed everybody. Like you could tell... I don't know the exact statistic, but the glaring majority of perpetrators when it comes to domestic violence are male, whether it's male on male violence or male on female violence. And you could tell straight it's off the bat. It's over 90%. I yes. don't have this, this Not stat off the in top front of my me, head. but it's over 90. My guess is it's over 95. Yeah. And you could tell they've intentionally not made the perpetrator a male in this video so that mm-hmm. they don't get any backlash from male vigilante groups. And you can tell that they haven't tried to bring any parallels towards sex into it in case they yep. get any backlash from Christian lobbyists or conservative groups. And then you can tell that they haven't wanted to make any outright down the line statements around consent in case, God forbid, they get any sort of blowback from teachers or parent lobbyists, that they've just ended up with some poor girl in her early 20s smearing a milkshake over some poor boy in his early 20s at what appears to me to be a dentist slash soundstage slash 1950s milkshake diner. Yeah. It's a, it's a 1950s milkshake diner. <laughs> set on in a, a soundstage. Set on a soundstage. <laughs> And don't you feel for those two actors as well, just as a side note, because I've done, when I was acting, I did gigs that, you know, like I I was like the West Farmers instructional guy, like, hey, welcome to West Farmers. You work at Bunnings now. Don't (laughs) chop your hands off. Like you do gigs that you're like, okay, this is a thing that I'm going to do. It's a paycheck. No one's going to see it. (laughs) No one. This poor girl's never going to live it down. She's always going to be the milkshake girl. And she's never going to get another part. And you can tell, I don't know, I'd love to pick your brain, but you can tell that the director was there going, okay, one more take, just pump it up. Just seriously this time, let it go, go for it. And then that's what they've got. Make a bold choice. Yeah, make a bold choice. Make a real (laughs) strong choice with your character. And instead it's ended up with some sort of, weird version of Silence of the Lambs with it puts the lotion on its skin. <laughs> I've got a question for you. There's a metaphor that we use very often on our podcast. It's a, it's a, like a, a metaphor or a theory that I like to throw around. I mm. say, if a plane is flying from Sydney to LA, it doesn't fly in a straight line. I say progress, even if it's not exactly right, is still progress. And often we look at things and we say, yes, this is flawed, but we are moving in the right direction. No. Is this Is this moving at all in the right direction or are we literally going backwards no, with this? this is MH370. This is somewhere <laughs> in the Indian Ocean, unfortunately. <laughs> this is not making it to this the This is airport. the Suez Canal? Yeah, this is, is not. This, is no, this was, no. If anything, the only positive you could take off this is that at least everybody agreed that it was shit. Everybody mm. agreed that it did not serve its purpose. And I think if anything, maybe it, it led the next time they make these decisions, they will be more anatomical about this and they will be more direct in the language they use because God knows they have to be because c- consent, especially for teenagers 
is a confusing subject. And especially because it is all over the news at the moment. And, and, and I have no doubt that the majority of teenagers don't want to disrespect each other and they no. want to have respectful sexual relationships with each other and they should be afforded that right, but they need to be educated about a, what a respectful sexual relationship is because pornography doesn't do that very well and Hollywood doesn't do that very well. So I just think you can, you can call a spade a spade sometimes when you're dealing with very direct, important issues. Well, and especially because these kids are going to be actually enacting some of these situations. Mm. So it's not like we we need to shroud these things in metaphors. Uh, these kids are going to be having these conversations. This is supposed to be shown to 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. These kids aren't actually having sex. So yeah. we can use the term sex. They are genuinely giving consent or not giving consent. So we can use those real words. Um we're not going I, into kinks and fetishes. I mean, if anything, that's where that video strayed in. Like, if it, that's a, some sort of weird fetish of getting a milkshake smeared on your face or smearing a milkshake, like domination of submission. But they're, they're, they're some type uh, of dairy kink. <laughs> <laughs> they call, Fetus. Uh, what, what's um, the name of your kink? I'm a dairy queen. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it would exist somewhere. That's the rule of the internet. Wait. But yeah, I, I think when it's a clear cut case of trying to educate. Um, teenage boys and teenage girls on what their rights are and what their responsibilities are when it comes to consent, it's actually super important to be direct with your language mm. and super important to outline um, the, the the rights available to people who have things perpetrated against them because that's the other thing that's really unclear for teenagers. Yeah, a, a, a hundred percent. Um the thing that, that popped into my mind, and I think a lot of people are like kind of having fun, poking fun at this video and to kind of take a step to the side. I remember when I first got into the media and when I got into the media, I started consuming much more news than I previously had. I'd always been interested in the news, but I started really reading most of or a whole bunch of the news every single day and, and trying to be across pretty much all of the major stories that were coming out any day. And I remember a couple of months into, into doing that. At first, it was quite a daunting task. And then a few months into that, I remember starting to go, oh, so many of these stories are actually interconnected. Mm. And these links and parallels are not necessarily being drawn all of the time. But, you know, uh, you've got a story about Elon Musk investing in Bitcoin, and then you start to see the Bitcoin share price go up the next week. And then you see, you know, there's these yeah. flow on effects. And with this, we're talking about this video, but it's important to remember that, like, I think it was two weeks ago as well, or a week ago, Kelly Wilkinson is a woman who was burnt to death on the Gold Coast by her male partner, mm. who she had a restraining order against for domestic violence. And then also a month ago, um, it was the, the Liberal Party members who were losing their jobs for wanking on desks mm. in Parliament. And... It's easy to think that these things are all disparate, but they're not. They're connected. This is all around Australia's understanding of consent, um, our education towards that, and uh, and men's ability to comprehend women as people. Um, I think that what we are looking at, even though we're poking fun of this video, this is the definition of a systemic problem. Where do we go from here? Because we've spoken about some of these other issues before on the show, but you go, okay, 
this is deep. This is deep rooted. And we can't even teach our young people how to respect women and how to have consensual sexual relationships. So if we can't teach young people, obviously we're going to create adults who go out and perpetrate terrible things. We need a huge overhaul on this. And I don't know what that looks like. Do you? Well, I think without sounding callous, I think it looks like this. I think it looks like these conversations. I think it is actually, while what you're saying, I agree with that it is an issue. I think it's great that it is the foremost issue at the moment because that means it is being spoken about and people are communicating about it. And hopefully people are going to grow and continue to uh, try to learn and understand more. My understanding of the way I treat women has evolved dramatically in, in the past 15 years. And I often reflect yeah. on that when I was a teenager, uh, I, I would say I tried to really, um, tie a big part of my personality to my sexuality or my ability to, to mm -hmm. get girls in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And that my attitude towards women has changed entirely over the course of my life. And that's, that's through, um, having strong women in my life and, and listening to them and learning and seeing the stories and reading and doing all those things. And I think that's the only way change occurs. Um, while these things are shocking, it's, it's fantastic that they are getting oxygen because the bigger issue would be if they weren't getting oxygen, that would You're be right. the really concerning situation. If we weren't discussing this or, or if that shit had happened in the liberal party and no one batted an eyelid or no one cared yeah. about it. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Um, and it is something that a lot of people are talking about. I put it on our Facebook page, Off Air Podcast Community. It's our private Facebook group where we discuss all of the topics of the week. And some people had some really interesting things to say. Hannah wrote, my 12-year-old son is in year seven. He was totally confused by this video and thought that it was stupid. We have lots of discussions about consent. So I'd like to think it's something that he understands. He thought the video was lame and missed the point. I loved hearing that because yeah. the only redeeming thought that I had about this video was I was like, we're talking high school is a broad period for a 17 year old. This video is useless, but maybe for a 12 year old. And so to hear that for a 12 year old, they're already past that point. I think that that's great. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think that, that the, the, one of the bigger things which we haven't discussed about the video is how irrelevant it is to kids and how undermining it is of kids' actual intellect and their ability to comprehend complex situations. Yeah. Uh, Mel wrote, uh, in quotes, ignoring your rich in a world and violating your individual freedoms and rights. I forgot about that It's a powerful that phrase that is sadly lost amongst the confusion of the mess of this video. Mm. Why are you laughing? No, no I think that I she's don't right. No, I agree, but I'm thinking about it in the context of the video and it was done as if... But the whole thing was somewhere... It was done like the Hamburglar was going to come yeah. in and go, ooh, I mean, yeah, but it, but it is true. I think that that's a really important, important way of, uh, I don't know, of looking at boundaries being crossed mm. and helping to helping people empathize. So, so maybe there are some nuggets of truth in there? Absolutely. No, there definitely is. But when, it, when, when the truth is wrapped in bigger nuggets of ridiculous mm. bullshit, they unfortunately get lost. We're going to finish on uh, my favorite comment on the Facebook page, which I could not miss, uh, by Marie Stewart, who I believe is your mum, Nick. It is And my I think mom. It's, it's important to have uh, conversations about consent uh, with your mum. 
um, and with Nick's mum specifically. So, and she wrote, but she actually wrote something great. She wrote, um, it minimised a serious issue in Australia, which it did. Not only was the word consent not mentioned, neither was sexual assault, sexual coercion, sexual violence, grooming behaviour not named or mentioned. Mm. Sexual violence as a serious issue should be treated like any other serious issue with clear and blunt advice, not a cheesy, tacky metaphor that leaves only the imagination to make sense of the message. Further, it focused on negotiation. Yes means yes and no means no. If negotiation is present, someone is saying no. Sexual consent should involve enthusiasm. A clear no, not ready, uncomfortable is a clear no that should be respected. Great points from your mum. I can see where you get it from. Fantastic. Fantastic points from my mum, I think. But again, I think that message has never been more clear. I actually, like, would you agree... And, and maybe it was the, the culture that I was in or the school that I was in. But when I was a teenager, uh, boys definitely harried girls. And I probably harried girls as well and, and, and took no, maybe didn't take the first no, if that makes sense. You would then ask yeah. again. And, I, and I'm I, embarrassed I about that. I know what you're that. saying. And yeah. I, yeah, I can relate to that. And that saddens me as mm, well. Same. That I very didn't much have so. that understanding when I was younger. So yeah. I would like teenagers now to have that understanding. Yeah, and, and and I hope that they do get that understanding because it is something that I'm embarrassed of. Story number two. We are 11 weeks out from the Tokyo Olympic Games being opened. You excited? I uh, Look, I love the Olympics. I'm a sucker for sport, you know that, Tim, and, and a sucker for competition. So I, I was really upset, really upset for the athletes specifically last year that it was postponed for a year because 12 months in an athlete's life is a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so they were postponed last year. The Olympics was not cancelled. It was postponed. Um, and they, I think, did that under the assumption that within a year's time, we would have COVID under some sort of control. And that's vaguely true. Uh, we, uh, at this point, we have gotten slightly better at hotel quarantining. We have gotten better at testing. And worldwide, we have currently got 250 million people fully vaccinated, which out of 7.9 billion is three percent of the planet right most now most of the Indi- rich ones that's the- <laughs> rich old people yeah. are vaccinated who are, you know they like the olympics uh right now india is on fire um the usa reported fifty thousand new covid cases yesterday and france is currently in lockdown mm. Uh, the Olympics would involve roughly, roughly 11,000 athletes from around the world, plus tens of thousands of volunteers from Japan. Um, and if you basically had to write a playbook on how to spread COVID again, it's the Olympics. <laughs> so, Nick, I've got a question for you. Should the Olympics go ahead? I'm in two minds. I'm, I, I am in two minds about it. I think if it doesn't go ahead this year, you just cancel it and you move on mm-hmm. and you reschedule for three years' time because it's pointless continuing to string along these athletes. Uh, these athletes spend four years timing their bodies to be perfect for a certain moment, especially in sports uh, like track and field and swimming. So to completely stuff them around, they've already had to throw out their lives by 12 months. You can't just keep saying, well, maybe next year we'll be ready to run. That said the majority of people that compete at the Olympics are the least likely to have any negative long-term effects from COVID. We're talking about extremely fit human beings who are generally young, who uh, generally have fairly resilient bodies. 
The flip side to that, though, is quite a few professional athletes who've gotten COVID have been really heavily knocked around with it because they train so much, their immune systems are actually down. So there's lots of wrinkles to this. And not to mention the fact that there are already a lot of statistics around long-term health implications from COVID and long-term lung damage. So you may survive, but you may never compete again. Yes. So if we add into the mix, if you say, you know, oh, this is this is their, their only shot, what if there's a 5% chance that you die when you're there? Well, I mean, the amount of drugs they're on, Tim. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they roll that dice every day. <laughs> I've seen Icarus. I've seen that documentary. Those Russian guys are pumped. Yeah. They're, they're, Not to mention yeah. the Japanese swimmers. <laughs> now, look. I sort of think you go ahead with it and the athletes who want to commit to it are, are doing it under the assumption that they're taking that risk on themselves. I think if you look, if you're concerned about long-term spread with athletes returning to the community, we have hotel quarantine. We have situations in place where we try to stop those things. I know that they're not perfect methods, but they've worked pretty well in comparison to the rest of the world, Tim. You have to admit that. They have, oh, what we've got going is better than everywhere else. It's not perfect. Can yeah. I give you a couple more numbers that might just sway you a little bit? So, yep, 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 yep. Can yeah. I ask you one question first? Because the population yeah. of Japan is about 60 million, isn't it? I think. Mm-hmm. So, with sure, the, I don't know. yeah, I think it is. With the numbers they're doing, it, I was trying to do the maths and it would equate loosely to what was happening in Melbourne last year during the, during the bigger lockdown where shit sort of hit the fan. Uh, would you have been okay with the Olympics happening in Melbourne right now if the situation was the same? No, I don't think so. I don't think something of that size and of that scale coming to Australia when so many of those countries, like India's in the Olympics. Oh, people will have, there will be COVID issues. Yeah, There will be COVID. It's like a Daniel Day-Lewis movie. There will be. (laughs) But uh, so just just to give you a, a little bit of, some some numbers japan has just declared in the in this week they have declared their third state of emergency mm. they're in a spike at the moment japan is currently recording 6000 new cases a day mm. and 50 deaths a day so it's worse than what than melbourne no 120 million well i just looked up the population so 120 okay. million so, so it would work out similar it would equate statistically to statistically similar on the day that the Olympics were postponed last year, March 24, there were 64 new cases. Yesterday, there were 6,000 cases. Look, the numbers, on the day when the there numbers were six, are good. The numbers are <laughs> when there were 64 cases, they were like, no, we can't do this. This is crazy. <laughs> we now there didn't, are 100 times more. We, and they're like, yeah, 11 weeks. We didn't have a full knowledge of COVID then, and it and it is not as dangerous as we initially thought. It just isn't. It 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 it's not. It's not as dangerous as we initially thought. Could you get all those athletes vaccinated in the next eleven weeks? It is possible. However, we still don't know. And and look, there's kind of no point you and I getting super no, sciencey because no. neither of us are scientists. But uh, the uh, the New Zealand airport worker who tested positive for COVID um, when the bubble opened, they had they had been fully vaccinated. Yeah. So there are different strains. Um, we don't 100% know how effective the vaccination is. We don't know how many strains are out there. And we also don't know th- these people could carry the virus 
um, and, and still continue to spread it, even if they don't get it themselves. Well, let's, so, look, let's boil it down a little bit, because I would suggest it's probably going to happen, I would say. Should Australia go, I guess, is the next question. Should we allow our athletes to compete? I don't think we should. I think it's a really tough call, but I think that if those athletes go, so we're talking about sending 300 athletes to the games. This was the plan last year. Plus you have coaches and staff. So let's say you double that. Let's say you've got 600. Um, At the moment we're letting us, we're letting 800 Australian citizens back into the country at a time. That's the whole, that's the whole number that we're letting come back in. These are people from places like India who are, fleeing for their lives. Well, not India now, unfortunately. Well, not India because we've, <laughs> we've closed that. Said no, that's... apparently. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no. Um, would we then, I mean, then we would essentially, we would literally be putting um, 600 athletes and their experience before the potential health of 600 other people, Australians, who would be wanting to get back into Australia. And we would be bringing people back into the country who are very highly likely carrying COVID, mm. which which would, like, it, it just will. Every time we have people with COVID coming into the country, it gets out of the hotel quarantines. It, it's very, very likely that that would result in loss of life across the country. I don't think it's worth it. You are ending, essentially you're ending, ending a number of swimmers, track and field, weightlifters, martial art practitioners, boxers. Yep. You're ending their careers, though. Yeah, but if you weigh that up to somebody's... <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just life. saying, I'm playing devil's yeah. advocate. And I'm saying by doing that, no, you, you really are... There's, I can name a handful of swimmers off the top of my head that would never compete again. Um, yeah. And, the, and the, the only way they earn income is through, through uh, endorsement deals based off their performance at the Olympics. Yeah, but you know what? Like, I changed <laughs> jobs last year. It's fine. You can do it. It's not the end of the world. Cody Simpson got back into swimming after after a, Cody Simpson would get to go to well, the Olympics. Think of him. But this is the world, and I would rather have some swimmers have to start have to go back to uni rather than who knows how many people potentially die. That's the way that I look at it. I'm not, I'm still not over the line. I'm still not over the line. I would be a, look, to be honest, and I know it's probably a a bit of an unpopular or shitty position, but I'd be okay if they want to go, I'm okay with that. And if they look at- How many people? How many people? Let's say- No, no, no. Whichever, anyone who's qualified and they're training No, no, no. How many, no, no, no. I don't mean how many people go. How many people's lives is it worth to you? Oh, come on. Uh, okay, so, so they go, they come back, 10 people mate, die. people die every day. What are we talking? What percentage of... Uh, oh, okay, for a start, I would almost bet you the number would be 0.05% that would die of, of professional sporting athletes. No, no, no. It's when it gets out, when it gets out into the well, community. Well, it's not going to get out. What if that's making a giant assumption that all of a sudden <laughs> that our protocols, which will. have worked for 18 months, are going to fail, even though half the athletes that compete for Australia aren't based here. I mean, you have entire jiu-jitsu and MMA gyms currently operating in Puerto Rico, which are full of <laughs> Australian athletes. Yeah, we're so. Australians. <laughs> so. I will say as well, just another thing to throw into the mix. Um, so the Japanese Prime Minister... Uh, Yoshihide Suga, he said the IOC has the authority to decide and the IOC has already decided to hold the Olympics. So Mm. basically he's just saying if they want to do it, they can do it. But then the health minister of Japan 
told the Olympic organizers that they're going to have to create their own hospital beds for anyone falling ill at the games and that the government would not release beds um, because they are currently over capacity. Look, it's concerning. It's it's certainly concerning. I mean, as opposed to the condom stand, they'll just have a series of ventilators this year at the Olympics. On the Facebook page of their podcast community, Josh commented, he said, people spend their lives training for potentially one shot to prove to themselves and the world that they can compete amongst the greatest athletes in the world. COVID makes it unbelievably hard to make a judgment call on this, but I would say if the correct procedures are in place, then they do it with, and they do it without the crowds, then they should do it. That way they do it in a safe environment as if they are training. But, um, but I know that everything, oh, but they know that everything is still to play for, which makes a fair point. But at the same time, there's a lot of, well, if we have all the correct procedures in place, but Japan is basically saying they do not have the correct procedures in place. Their hospitals are overflowing. They've said, if you get sick over there, they're not going to help you. And if we bring sick people back to Australia, we're going to have to hospitalize them. And then it's very, very difficult to contain. Mm. And we've been through, look, I know from, maybe from old Queensland perspective, it's hey, like, we yeah, did three I... days. We had three days. Yeah, bring it back. <laughs> Lockdown's not that bad. Mate, nine months of it last year. It's not fun <laughs> and it's not worth getting to wake up in the middle of the night and watch Australia compete in the swimming. Okay. okay. All right. I, I, I understand <laughs> your point. But I do think that 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 you disagree. That I disagree. Yeah, I still okay. want to watch the Olympics. <laughs> Story number three: the West Coast Eagles, as in the Perth AFL team, are in trouble this week. They played Fremantle over the weekend. They won. Congrats, Eagles! And after the game, they uh, normally take a team photo in the locker room. They did that, and three players are in trouble for it. They snuck into the photo. Nick, do you want to have a guess? Do you know what they snuck into the pick? I, when you first mentioned the West Coast Eagles, I immediately went, I, I'm not going to have a fucking clue what this story is about. But I actually do. They snuck in the, uh, it used to be like the AOK symbol, but upside down. And when we were teenagers, so in the early 2000s, Every single human on the planet played this game because I think it started in Malcolm in the Middle, the TV show. And you would, yeah, you would show, I'm pretty sure the older brother who should have gone on to have a way better acting career than he did, uh, brought it back to the guys, the, the, the middle brother and Malcolm. Well, there's four, but, um, and, and if you hold it under your waist and someone sees it, you get if to you punch show them in the, someone the circle. Yeah. yeah. You show someone the circle. If they see the circle that you make with your thumb and your forefinger, then you get to punch them. But if you show them the circle and they get their finger through the circle without looking at it using extrasensory perception, they get to punch you in the arm. Yes. It's a game that, every, like, I love that you grew up in Brisbane. I grew up in Sydney. We bought, like, every single guy our age played this game. It was universal. And then somewhere along the line, just like Hitler ruined the swastika for Buddhists, uh, it, it has been taken over by white supremacists in the U.S., and members of the alt-right movement. And I think the Proud Boys as well have been using it. And these dickhead AFL players thought they were playing a funny game and instead they're throwing up uh, essentially white power gang signs in a team photo. In a team photo. Jack Redden, Alex Witherden, Jermaine Jones subtly showed the white supremacy hand signal in the photo, which 
let me just describe one more time, is just making a circle out of your thumb and your pointer finger, and then your other three fingers are splayed. It's just turning the, uh, like, universal sign for A-OK. It's okay. the, it's in, in diving, that is OK. That's what you do. And yeah. it's just that flipped upside down. Do you want to know the, uh, so I'm glad that you know the game. I'm glad that you've seen the story. Um, my question is, how do you decide who owns a symbol? <laughs> Who owns this? No. Who's I... in the right? Is it the circle game symbol or is it, or do we give it to the white supremacists and say, yeah, it's your symbol now? I think we've got to have a debate about it, Tim. I think we get a few whites. I think we get uh, a couple of white supremacists. We'll get Ben Shapiro to moderate it. Uh, and then He can't moderate it. He's, in... <laughs> he's, on, he's on the right side. Him, Stephen Crowder, um, and, and Jordan Peterson could represent. Jordan Peterson, he'd they could represent it. the right, and then mm-hmm. we will get the the oldest brother well, we from get Malcolm the in the middle. AFL players, Jack Redden, Alex oh, Withen, and Jermaine Jones. Clearly, they, they are intelligent enough to make cognitive arguments uh, based off their actions. No, you raise a good point. Look, I think it's very quick and easy to rule out that a these AFL players probably aren't white supremacists, and yep. b probably weren't fully aware of the implications of that symbol. They have made that very clear. Their <laughs> PR person has made that very clear, saying that the boys have been playing this game and they have all been reprimanded, um, and they didn't know. So when you take that into account and you go, okay, 90% of people think of this symbol as the circle game, and especially if if there are people listening who don't know this game, I would say especially men of our age. I would say yeah. guys mid-30s and down all know this game. And it's still, when I was teaching in schools and stuff, kids still know it. So mm. it's a game that everybody, that a lot of people know, and it's very small percentage of people would acknowledge is a white supremacy sign. So if you say it's a 90-10 split, then why do we have to go, okay, it's a white supremacy sign? Well, no, I agree with you. I don't really know why the the guys had to be... I mean, they can be reprimanded for ruining a a nice team photo. Like, reprimand them for that, for being fucking idiots it's like sticking your testicle out it's actually less worse than it's sticking less. Your te- yeah less worse than sticking your testicle out which for anyone under the age of 21 that listens to this podcast oh you better believe that was a trend for a bit sneaky nut was definitely a trend for a bit i don't know where it that actually sits made in it made the news i saw a newspaper clipping from toowoomba once somebody managed to sneak <laughs> where you live now um that and that's still probably floating around somewhere, sneaking yeah. a testicle out of a, the bottom of your shorts. Yeah, but um, I just think it's a bit of a stormy to teacup, isn't it? These boys don't really deserve, to, as I said, other than just for ruining what was otherwise a nice team photo, they don't deserve to be reprimanded. They weren't trying to spread uh, hate speech. That wasn't their goal. It's the same with the Peppy the Frog meme. That one became, mm-hmm. uh, ended up being an alt-right thing. It, you're right. You can't just let these people claim these and all of a sudden they become symbols of hate because you because that's their goal too. Their is goal to is to take away and spread yeah, symbols of hate. Yeah, exactly right. And to make it seem as if they are more popular. Th- like I'm pretty sure as much as these AFL players don't want to be associated with the alt-right, the alt-right definitely want to suggest that these guys are all part of yeah. their conspiracy. You know what I mean? You're so, totally right. It's a, it's a situation where how much are you empowering them by playing into allowing them to have these things? Uh, Do you want to know the history of of, of the, this hand signal, by the way? Of yeah, the circle for thing? sure. Okay, so obviously it was originally the okay sign. This has been for forever. Um, but in 2017, uh, it was changed as a hoax 
Um, There were a group of people on 4chan, which if you haven't heard of 4chan, it's like an anonymous, unrestricted messaging board. It's kind of like a dark version of Facebook. It's like like Reddit for fuckwits, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like for hackers and stuff like that. Like internet, I don't know. Nick and I are not. We're, we're so far removed. I think so of they, Hugh Jackman in Swordfish. If you... <laughs> so they began, again, 2017. This is not long ago. They began what they called Operation OKKK to see oh, if they could trick the wider world and especially the mainstream media into believing that the innocuous gesture of OK was actually a symbol for white power. So the 4chan um, people, they started putting it on message boards everywhere, sharing it, literally just to see if it would take off. The hoax succeeded so well that it stopped being a hoax because neo-Nazi groups, Ku Klux Klan's groups, and other white nationalist groups began using the gesture in public to signal their presence to each other and to spot other potential sympathizers and recruits. Um, for them, they saw, because we think of it as an, uh, it looks kind of like an okay. Yeah. Uh, they literally saw not an O and a K, but if you make this symbol with your hand and then turn it upside down, you can kind of see a W and a P. Oh. And that's standing for white power. Oh, Jesus Christ. And it's so legitimized that even Brendan Tarrant, who was the New Zealand mosque shooter, mm. he did that symbol at reporters while he was brought, being brought into court. So it genuinely has taken off. But again, only in the last few years. And it was originally created, I guess, to troll the KKK people to show how easily manipulated, manipulated they are. But now we're playing into their hands by going, okay, well, I guess it's your symbol now. I genuinely think that this is a situation, it's kind of like it's similar to when uh, after 9-11 happened and people were very afraid to go out and do things and then people started having the conversation and saying, well, if we don't do things and if we don't fly on planes and we don't go to concerts anymore, then the terrorists have won. And if we just go, yeah, okay, sure, that symbol means white supremacy, that means that the white supremacists have won. They've just like gained more ground in the social sphere. I hear what you're saying. So what you're suggesting is we all actually need to start using this symbol and punching each other more. Yeah, play the circle game to fight (laughs) white supremacy. And this is why I started this podcast, Nick, because I want to get this message out that the circle game is still fun. It hasn't gone... A lot of people are like, oh, I played it in primary school. No, no, it's good. Do it at work. And next week, we're going to be doing an expose on sack whacking and why that also needs to make a return. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think, you know, it, it, it is a whole bunch of bullshit. Uh, you know, there's not a great deal of symbology involved in it. Those guys aren't neo-Nazis or white supremacists. I'm, pro- I'm certain of that. I mean, there's plenty of AFL players that still tend to rock up to Mad Monday celebrations in blackface. And I, I don't even know that they're racist. I just think that they're probably really dumb too. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> never underestimate the stupidity of professional football of players professional in athletes. Australia. I think that's the biggest takeaway from this. And boys' culture. Anytime you're going to put 60 dudes together, I worked for a V8 supercar team for a year. Um, the nicknames would put people in jail. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> people would go to jail for the nicknames we had for each other. So <laughs> boys are idiots, and that's why boys' schools don't necessarily work, and that's why you should send your children to uh, uh, co-educational schools. schools. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nick. <laughs>
you have a nitpick for us? Do you have something that you would like to share for people who want to entertain themselves with something this week? Do you have a recommendation? I've been trying. Why are you thinking I've about been it, Nick? Think of one. I've been trying to think of one. I can't remember if I've done all the ones that I thought of though. That's where I'm. That's where I'm struggling. Uh, this that there, there's a new TV show. It's got David Tennant in it, who is probably my favourite British actor at the moment. Um, you might know him as Doctor Doctor Who. He's also in a great series called Broadchurch, uh, and this series is called Whatever Jazz Put It On. It's very good though. A couple of episodes out. Check it out. I think it's SBS it's, on demand. It's called Whatever Jazz Put It On. Yeah, my fiance. Uh, just wait. Look, I'll I'll do some fucking Nick, research. You know I'm gonna ask. We you had for a week nitpick. off. You had two weeks to think of one TV show to recommend to people. David Tennant, good actor though, right? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Um, I did actually watch when I was sick. I watched your nitpick from a couple of weeks ago, which was The Serpent which is on Netflix. Very good. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. I really got into that. So thank you for that recommendation. Makes crime easy, right? That's what I thought. Pre-internet, you could just commit crimes anywhere you, you wanted. You want. Before security cameras were a thing. Do you have this or are we moving on? Yeah, no, no, I've got it. It's in front of me. Uh, it's what called it? Deadwater Fell. And it's on SBS? C, correct. SBS On Demand. Just never fail to disappoint me. Deadwater Fell. Just... It's free. Look, don't even pay for Netflix. I don't know why you would. Um, Deadwater Fell. Just always go out with like a, it's like letting the air out of a balloon at the end of the morning. Let's just say um, a house fire devastates a close-knit community after a seemingly happy family who were living in the neighborhood die. There's currently four episodes out. Okay. Um, my Nick pick for the week is, uh, it's so trashy, but I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. It's called Bad Trip. It's on Netflix. Have you seen this? It's the new, it's an Eric Andre movie. No, um, I haven't. So yeah, so he's, he's made a feature film. Um, it's very, very funny. It's basically uh, a combination of like a Jackass style prank show, but, and a feature film movie mm. um, with a story. So him and there are a couple of other actors and there is a story that happens of him having to go and pursue this thing. But along the way, like these ridiculous things happen and they just film those things just in public. And so it kind of goes back and forth. You're watching a movie. The story is progressing. But the people in the movie outside of him and like two other actors have no idea that they're in the movie. That sounds great. It's really it's really funny. And the other thing is like the the people, the just total normal people are amazing. Like. Mm. They're so funny and charismatic and they're just, I, they must have just filmed a number of times to get good reactions and stuff. But these people kind of pop in as characters. They're literally walking down the street and they'll give him advice and tell him to do things, which he does. Never underestimate Americans though, Tim. Remember Bruno, remember Borat. Like, yeah. And remember when you worked in radio. I mean, I always knew if something happened in America, I could call anywhere in America or anything in America. It's the difference between Americans and Australians is when me, like when media organizations reach out to Australians, they're confused and they go, why are you ringing me? And Where, they're like, oh shit, I don't want to do this. Yeah, but when Americans, Americans do it, they like, just switch finally, on. Well, no, they're like, finally, I've been waiting my whole life for someone to call me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, check it out. Um, bad trip. It's it's really stupid, but it's really funny. You'll enjoy it. Well, we get I out of definitely here? will. I love it. Yep. Sounds good. See you, mate. Catch you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Off Air. Remember to like and subscribe.
people are entitled to their sexual proclivities.